Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. On this episode of the podcast, we are welcoming Judge Vance Day. Good. You got my name right. I did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Good Day, start. Judge Day is running for the appellate court here yes. in the Although state of Oregon. Although you messed up that word for yeah, that. It's, it's appellate. Appellate? Appellate court. Appellate. That's something you, you chew court. on. It's like a, a very tiny little appellate. Yeah. All right. Well, it's going off to a great start here. Um <laughs> So yeah, Judge Day was a was former chairman of the Republican Party Correct. in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, got into was uh, I'll let you tell the story, but had had <laughs> a <you're> stumbling through <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, why don't you just go ahead and, and uh, well, as we were talking off yourself. the air, yeah. we were talking about where you were born. Yes, and, and I was born in Portland, so I'm a sixth generation Oregonian. Okay, and I went to Lincoln High School, like my dad went to Lincoln High School, like my grandpa went to Lincoln mm. High School, and I lived kid, across the street from Lincoln High School. You did, so I did. Yep, really? there was a homeless shelter there. Is that where you were? <laughs> <laughs> James had a rough couple of years oh, in the yeah. garage door yeah, business. Yeah, yeah. There, right. that's why you have all the ads for. <laughs> No, I, used to, I, used to, I used to live uh, at the Civic, which is across the street from Providence Park. So oh, we okay. walked literally yeah. two or three blocks from yeah. Lincoln High School. But yeah. Well, I, I I left and went overseas. Actually, I went down to play soccer at a place called Westmont. and um, But then ended up overseas in college working for the Ritz Hotel. Ended up smuggling Bibles into mainland China. Contraband. But they were Bibles, so mm-hmm. that's okay. There's nothing stuffed between the pages. No, nope, no, nope, you weren't nothing okay. bad. No, no, no. Just people life who lessons. Got, caught got beat up, so I never got caught. Thankfully, spent some years in Middle East, uh, working on a master's degree in journalism, um, ancient historiography, and then worked for CBN News Middle East Television. Got a master's degree in government um, at Regent University. Worked there for a couple of years. Ended up in law school because my wife said I needed to go, so I went. Um, and then ended up in Salem because that's where I graduated from and started a law firm, did that for 20 years as a litigator. Of course, you're both thinking that that's the first cousin to an alligator and you're correct. <laughs> that's true. Well, based on my pronunciation. Yeah, uh, we know what an appellate yeah. is. Basically, so. <laughs> and, um, and in the midst of that, I met some World War II veterans because I'd read some books that I was a, originally a history teacher. And so the 101st Airborne 506 Parachute Infantry Regiment E Company was the subject of a documentary called Band of Brothers. Have yep. you seen that, James? Yes. Have you seen that? It's, quite, it's good yes. television. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, Buck Compton, the lieutenant, one of the lieutenants, and then Don Malarkey and I traveled together for about 10 years, and we would do no leadership. Yeah, okay. Leadership presentations all over North America and Europe, White House, West Point, Congress, Heritage Foundation. I have more fun with those guys than, than, wow. would than you, I should have. Would you consider going back and doing leadership presentations at the White House now? Because I think they might uh, need I think it. They <laughs> might need it. Yeah, but I don't think I think our president would probably fall asleep. That's the problem. <laughs> or he'd start shaking hands with nobody that's there. <laughs> oh, right. I actually I watched the White House correspondence dinner last night. He literally did look like he was about to fall asleep, and it's just like you know this is this is kind of your thing here. This is I, all about you. But- I feel I feel bad a little bit dunking on President Biden just because. I mean, the dude is so clearly just getting into old age and, and, you know, there's, there's absolutely no reason to be at that level when you're, you know, going through early stages of dementia. It's, it's sad. It's really sad. You feel bad because you see somebody in a compromised state, but at the same time, the dude won't step down. Right. So I don't think I should feel bad. Yeah. I think I should look at him and say, you know, dude, you need to step down. Yeah. Anyway. So, I wonder if that's why he didn't get into the race a little bit late because he he was probably like I don't think I can do this. I think then, Jill pushed him into the race. You think so? Yeah, huh. yeah. She seems to be the fire behind the engine. Yeah, 
Because clearly he doesn't have much. Somebody, yeah, I don't know who the I fire know. is there. But so now I, this is interesting. I, I didn't realize that you were a, a history professor. Were were there specific eras or specific uh, you know wars? Anything that you focused in on, or is there something of interest in in your life in general? Or I, well, my my original degree, bachelor's degree, was in uh, secondary education, social okay. science. So it was history, and then I went on to work on that master's degree in. Um, Biblical historiography. So no originally okay. it was ancient history, but I really fell in love with American history. Okay. Um, you know, revolutionary. My family came to Plymouth in 1623. So huh. in the, on the, on the supply ship Anne, they were, they were part of that group. And so huh. just studying my history for the last 40 years and then, you know, getting involved with American history and politics. And I just love American history. I think it tells a wonderful story about who we are as a people, a culture. Where we've gone, you know, where we can go if we return to self-government. So I just love history. Yeah, a lot of Great. interesting stuff. And now there. as I'm getting older, I'm becoming history. Yeah, <laughs> <This is> a, <laughs> that was my well, dad's joke. He said he, his, learning history was easier in my day because there was just less of it that you had to learn. <laughs> it's like, yeah, not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of shifting gears to the appellate court. Very good. <laughs> I can I can be taught. Um, this is one of those things, and I've, you, I haven't read a lot about this until you jumped into the race. But mm-hmm. it seems that these are appointed positions in 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 reality, if not in practicality. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you could elaborate on that. Like, so basically, people are appointed and then they run unopposed, and nobody ever challenges them. And so when you have 40 years of Democratic governors, you have 40 years of Democratic appointees to these positions. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And that's not the way it was designed. My, right. my original, well, the original uh, judge in Oregon was my fifth great grandfather. He didn't have any legal training, but he started a seminary in Iowa. And so the territorial legislature appointed him to be the judge. Hmm. And so, and then his oldest son, my fourth great grandfather, they crafted those original statutes and then those kind of fit into the constitution. And frankly, the original idea was all judges should be elected by the people in their community because sure. they know them the best. Yeah. And they want somebody to reflect their community. And, but what's happened over the last 60 years, 40 years primarily since, you know, Democrats have been in charge, 40 years approximately, is that um, judges will get, you know, elected or appointed, whatever happens. But then if they, if the Democrat governor appoints them, then there's this little side deal, in my opinion, that they retire their fifth year of a six-year term. Yeah. So judges get elected for six years. And then what happens is you retire at the end of your fifth year, <clears throat> who gets the appointment? The governor. And she appoints or he appoints somebody who's the, in their ilk, their perspective, usually somebody progressive. And sometimes somebody who just fits a category that they think needs to be placed into the judiciary based on national origin or skin color or whatever. And so that's really destructive, I think, to the the focus and, and really the purpose of a judiciary. And that's you get qualified people who have experience and are able to judge cases appropriately. And they're the ones who are elected by their local folks. And so that doesn't happen anymore. So do they – is it similar to the Supreme Court where everybody sees the same cases or does it like – or more like a, a – traditional judge where there's one judge who sees a case and then a different judge sees a different case. I, I'm not sure how the... Well, think about it this way. There's three levels of, of courts in Oregon. So you have your circuit court, and there's mm-hmm. about 200 judges in the entire state. So about 180 circuit court judges in 26 different judicial districts. Those are your trial judges. And right. so they do the trials... So they do everything from divorce to death penalty, constitutional out of contracts, probate, everything like that. Above the trial judge is the appellate court. There are 13 judges on the Court of Appeals. And then above the Court of Appeals, there's the Oregon Supreme Court. There are seven justices. So think about it this way. You, you go to trial, you get a verdict from a, uh, you know, a jury, and that verdict then gets transferred into a judgment, and the parties can appeal that judgment. So where does it go? It goes right to the Court of Appeals, 99% of them. And when you knock on the Court of Appeals door, they have to answer. They have no discretion. They can't say, James, you're from Bend and an idiot. You can't come into this court. You know? <laughs> um, Happens more than you'd like to think. <laughs> so you have to take the case. Now, 
80% of the cases stop there because the Supreme Court doesn't have to take one case. They, they can take 10, they can take 50, they can take 100. So it's a discretionary court. And so that's why I argue that the Court of Appeals is the most powerful court in Oregon because it, it handles more cases on appeal and more cases die there. Out of those 13 judges, there's one chief judge, and then there are four panels of three judges. So, for example, if, if we were all on the Court of Appeals, the three of us, we'd get a case. We, they'd, the parties would brief it. Read, we'd read all the briefs. Do you read, by the way? Uh, as decently well, sometimes. Okay, <laughs> you got to read a heck of a lot on the Court of Appeals. I believe it. And then you hear arguments, and then you sit down, and the three of us would discuss it. We'd make a ruling, and then one of us would write the opinion. That's how that works. Okay. Does that sound exciting? I don't think so necessarily. You have that look. <laughs> Sounds yeah, important. About three minutes ago, your uh -huh. eyes were glazing over. No, I, to, <laughs> to be honest, I had a beer with a buddy about a year ago, and I said I'd love to learn the difference between circuit court and appellate court and Supreme Court and, and the U.S. Supreme Court versus the Oregon Supreme Court. What is federal court? What is district court? Because there's, I mean, everybody, you love to throw stuff out. It's like, oh, that's against the law. It's like, oh, well, what law? Who's, whose law? What, which law are we talking about? Is this a federal case? Is it a state case? What, what mm -hmm. are we talking about? So it's it, it honestly it's wonderful to have that um, kind of explainer go through and and especially I mean this is the stuff that you know you see people talk about in movies about law school is you know everybody wants to read uh, you know Justice Blackman's dissent in an eight to one case or whatever but where does he get the notes from his dissent it's from a state appellate court in a mm -hmm. trial ten mm -hmm. years prior to that or something like that so it's so if some of those things it's if someone then disagrees with the appellate court decision, then it they could appeal to the Supreme Court, who can then say, yes, we'll take it, or no. No, go no. pound sand. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, think about it this way. You know, just about four or five days ago, in the Lynn County case was brought up to the Court of Appeals, and the Court of Appeals reversed it. That Lynn County case affected every single Oregonian. It was a case where you had 13 counties and 100 and different, 151 different <laughs> taxing districts. We were talking about this on the way up. Uh, Let's keep going, though. Yeah, you led into one of our well, questions. Well, it's, it's an amazing case because it was based on a 1939 deal that the state made with the counties. And the county said it's contract because they wanted our land and they wanted to manage it. We gave it to them, sold it to them, essentially, the facts. And then the state's supposed to manage it, cut the timber, allow it to be cut, and then we get a portion. And it's been doing that for, gosh, almost 80 years. But in the 90s, they stopped doing it and they decreased it out of negligence, out of mismanagement. And so all the counties said, hey, you're mismanaging it. You've damaged us. It's a contract. Yeah. And a jury gave them $1.1 billion with a B dollars. Yeah. Billion dollars. When I, I'll tell you, to be honest, when I, when I read that, I said, there's no way that's holding up. There is zero percent chance the state of Oregon pays a billion dollars to anybody for anything yep. like this. Well, so see, I that, heard that. So I was the, that it was overturned, and I was like, ah, yeah, there, there it comes. Well, then I don't want to comment on the case too much. I just can give you the history sure. of it because if it comes back and I'm on the court, you got it. Yeah, and I yeah, can't no, that, talk that makes about sense. it. That makes yeah. sense. But it, it, the point, the reason I want to make it to your listeners is, is that, that shows how powerful the Court of Appeals is. And we'll see if the Supreme Court takes it up or not. I'm sure the counties will appeal because John DiLorenzo is, of course. is is the attorney on that case. And uh, Well, they'd be dumb not to. I mean, for that amount of money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we, we've done a couple podcasts on forest management and those sorts of things. And, you know, you, you need to maintain these, these forests or else they, they burn up. Yeah, <laughs> you know? well, it's called um, self-government. You're supposed to brush your teeth or you lose them. I mean, right, you know, right. you plant corn, you don't get rutabagas. That's I mean, what my grandma the, used to say. This is the one of the things you get that, real bad corn that, <laughs> that Metro's doing in my race is buying a bunch of land outside the urban growth boundary for quote unquote preservation, but they're not managing it. They're doing nothing with it because there are a bunch of urban folks who don't really understand land management. And we were getting wildfires in Western Washington County, which is Real close to Portland because all of this metro land was unmanaged and uh, it's it's a disaster. You you need to be able to to maintain these things or else they that's right they burn up. So it's it's very important even from an environmental standpoint to have people that actually know what they're doing and not just bureaucrats buying land for quote unquote preservation only to screw it up and ruin it. 
So beyond environmental standpoint, I think in any well, kind of standpoint, it's good to have people who know what they're doing. But that'd be a novel concept for the Oregon <laughs> government. Especially for so, government. Right. Yeah. Right, well, right, right. We'll see. Well, one, one race at a time. When Jimbo for Metro, we'll start there. Yep. But so you are uh, Judge Day. You are running for you were a circuit court judge. You are now running for a, a judge in the appellate court system. Obviously, or some say the apple or the apple. Yeah, right. Either way, you'll take the votes either way. Um, and now, might I ask, what is it now? Obviously, you feel that you are a better fit for that position than the current incumbent. Otherwise, you wouldn't be running against her. But what in general, what is it that makes uh, a, a either a person qualified to serve on the appellate court or a, a person who is going to do well and succeed and be a, a good representative of what it means to be on the appellate court? Well, the statutory requirements are you have to be an elector in the county where you live and a member of the bar. So anybody could be on the There's appellate court. There's a lot of folks court. there, yeah. Yeah. Um, but frankly, the appellate court looks over all the circuit courts. So they're, they're really the referees for what happens in trials. So if a judge makes a mistake on the law or process or evidence or whatever it is, the appellate court is supposed to correct that. Mm-hmm. So my argument is that most of the appellate court judge should be former circuit court judges. Makes sense. And they, they should be also trial lawyers because you're dealing with the machinations, what happens in a trial, which are critical. How do you pick a jury? What, whether this evidence comes in? What is the law of negligence and how does that work? Mm-hmm. And so the problem is over the last 40 years, like you were mentioning, James, you know, governors, when they appoint people, they do it for, you know, political reasons most of the time. In my humble opinion, sometimes they do it for qualifications, but there are circuit court judges and appellate judges who have never tried a case in their entire history. Hmm. And that just is wrong. I mean, that would be like me. You know, I, well, let me let me tell your listeners. I'm not a big football fan, folks. I'm sorry to say that, but I view it as an, <laughs> a leftover from the Roman era gladiatorial combat that just keeps the people in the circus happy. But that's a separate issue. But if you walked up to me and said, Vance, here's a striped shirt, a whistle, a little flag. Go out there into this green grass field called the Super Bowl and you be the main referee for the next Super Bowl. That would be a really dumb idea because I have no experience being a referee. I sure. just screw it all up. Well, that's what happens when you take a lawyer who's never tried a case and put him in as a trial judge or worse yet, put him in as a appellate judge. And my opponent from my and she may have to correct me, but I don't think she's ever tried a jury trial in her life. And so one of the other things that I don't think we mentioned, but I've been reading a lot about is the reason a lot of these cases or these these elections go unopposed is because you, as as a lawyer, as an attorney, could end up appealing to this court mm-hmm. and having someone that you lost an election to uh, trying your case. Yeah. Well, and the right thing for that judge would be to recuse themselves, but they right. don't typically do that, from my experience. Yeah. You know, when you're when you but have that's that, voluntary, the, the recusal would would be voluntary, right? They'd have. Yeah, to... Yeah. There is a process for what we call um, filing an affidavit or affidaving affidaviting a judge, um, but that doesn't happen too often. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem is is that when when a person retires in the fifth year and then the governor appoints somebody right before the election, they swear in and they get this little thing called incumbent mm-hmm. when when they're on the primary election ballot. And uh, that little tag incumbent is worth 10 to 20 points depending upon the election. So who, whoever challenges that judge is already starting at a 10 to 20 point deficit in the polls. And I believe judges are the only ones that actually get to run with an I incumbent next to their name. Nobody else does. I yeah. mean, if you pay attention, you know who the incumbent is. So you always have to look is, when a statute's written. You always have to ask the question, who does this statute benefit? Mm-hmm. Because there's always some winner that is behind that statute. And that's why the Code of Judicial Conduct was crafted in part, and I agree with it, to protect the judiciary from being viewed as biased. Because, you know, everybody brings their bias to a trial or a court. The key mm-hmm. is you have to recognize it, set the bias aside and rule out of the facts. So the code of judicial conduct, though, has become like a shield for all judges who are, you know, candidates because they won't answer any question. Mm. So what's your favorite type of fruit, Judge? I'm sorry. The Oregon Code of Judicial Conduct doesn't let me answer that question. It's like, really? Come on, guy. You know, people ask me, for example, uh, the other day, well, Judge, what are you going to do with the Second Amendment case? 
And I looked at him and I said, well... <laughs> Depends on which one and there's a lot of context yeah. you need right yeah, there. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but I said, Here, here's, the, here's the rule. I can't answer that question because of the Oregon Code of Judicial Conduct. But what I can tell you is about my experience and my background. Mm-hmm. I've been hunting all my life. I have a concealed handgun permit. And next week I'm receiving the Second Amendment Award from a guns rights group. So that should tell you kind of at least the context of who yeah. I am. Yeah. Now, I can't tell you how I'm going to rule because I, I I wouldn't do that. I don't know the facts right. of the case. Yet. Right. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. But at least you personal. can share your experience, I believe. And, you know, here's what's going to happen, guys. I'm going to win this race. I will be the new. I've seen you everywhere. So I, I believe it. <laughs> those are my doc, doppelgangers. But, and they really function well. <laughs> every but, I, sw- I swear, though, like I go to a lot of events and every event I've been at in a couple of months, there's someone up there with your flyers handing them out. So you're, well, if you're not personally, like your, your people are getting around. When, when I do something, and, and this isn't braggadocious, I hope, but, but if you're going to do something, you just do it all the way. Why would you do something, yeah. as my dad said, half-ass? Don't do that. It yeah. just makes a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably, literally. It's <laughs> you'd get into the semantics there. <laughs> well, it is an old outhouse, uh, I guess, colloquial term. Oh. You didn't know that, did I didn't you? know that, yeah. no. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember what I said. But the funny thing is, I do suffer from a, a, a little mental condition. And I noticed that you two have that same issue. It's called cerebral flatulence. Did you know this? That you I, sometimes, yeah, it's just yeah. like right now you're thinking, yeah. what, why why are we talking about this? This is yeah. a podcast about Republicans. <laughs> this is yeah. this is what we're doing. We don't even have the benefit of red wine here to, to be drinking. Everybody yeah. from time to time does that. Well, the point I was making is, is that judges don't really run races. They don't like races. They, they think elections are uh, like a punishment. And mm-hmm. I look at it, and, and part of that reason is because I think judges, once they have the seat, and they've given up their private practice or wherever they're doing, they view it as their seat. Mm-hmm. It's not their seat. It's the public seat. Right. That seat, position three on the Court of Appeals here in Oregon belongs to the people of Oregon. It does not belong to Darlene Ortega, even though she's been there 19 years and she's never had an opponent. And she's a nice enough person, but it's not her seat. And so when when some of my friends in in the bar association, you know, called me up and said, well, you know, why the blank are you running, trying to replace, take her out of her seat? I said, well, hold on, yeah. stop. Yeah. You know, this is the judiciary. The Constitution says every six years they run for office. And you're upset because I'm giving Oregon a choice? I thought you were poor choice, Buster. (laughs) And then they don't have anything to say to that. Because, you know, they they get this kind of arrogant view that that's theirs. Well, no, it's not. Elections should be a choice, not a coronation. Exactly. Yep. And I think the Democrat who told me that. Really? <laughs> Is it a Democrat who is currently elected to uh, something? A Democrat who has been on this podcast, actually. <laughs> well, there we go. I like anyway. it. That narrows it down. Yep. Down to two or three. I was going to say, it's not that many. The Democrats, you're welcome. We'd love to have you on. But yes. yeah, we just haven't had that many. Absolutely. So uh, one of the things to, um, to to kind of address the elephant in the room, one of the things that I most wanted to... That was to, a pun, wasn't it? The elephant. Yeah, right. <laughs> I thought there was a dog in the room. Them, yeah, right. A few of those. <laughs> um, but you, uh, during your time as a circuit court judge, Oregon passed a law that says same-sex marriage is constitutional. And you had said that this is not something that I'm comfortable with. This does not jive with my beliefs. And this is not something I'm going to do with. And had stopped performing same-sex marriages. You, if I recall correctly, had then stopped performing all marriages. I, I'm guessing as a, I don't, I don't want to say as a, as a cover, but as a way to just kind of remove any, any part of that from being on your plate in the first place. Um, but my, uh, my thought would be if, if somebody comes in and says, okay, this, this is the law. I disagree with it, but this is the law. And it's now, it's now part of my job. I would have, can I, I correct look, you on two presuppositions? Please do. Um, uh, if, more than two, if I need. <laughs> three or four, James says. Yeah, right. Um, well, one, judicial uh, duties do not include marriage. Okay. So it's a may, not a must. Okay. So under the hmm. statute, I can marry people, but I don't have to. Now, I did marry people because it, as a person of faith, it gave me an opportunity to talk to them about the nature of marriage. And, and frankly, if you're coming to a circuit court judge to get married, you may not have a lot of concepts about what marriage is really about. Sure. Sure. And so uh, 
I didn't have to do weddings, but I did. Second thing is, is that he was a federal judge in Oregon who was a former circuit court judge in Multnomah County. Obama appointed him to the federal bench. He got the case which challenged the Oregon Constitution, which said marriage is between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. And so he said, no, that violates the 13th and 14th Amendment of the United States. And, and most of us who knew him knew that he wanted to marry his partner and wanted to marry his partner for years. So we mm-hmm. knew where he was going. Sure. So as soon as he essentially ruled that constitutional provision in Oregon uh, that it violated the U.S. Constitution, it changed, it opened up what the, the definition of marriage. A lot of people think that judges make law. I, I, I tend to push back on that. We interpret law, we apply the Constitution to legislative acts, but we really don't make law in the traditional sense. Okay, right. And so what I chose to do is just say, you know, I don't have to do the may anymore. So I just stepped back originally from, I told my staff, if somebody calls in their same-sex couple, please refer them to my lesbian colleague down the hall, she'll be glad to marry them. And I did it very quietly because, number one, I'm a Republican. Two, I'm a white guy. I'm a little bit older and I'm a person of faith and I'm a little outspoken. I already had a big target. There's enough coming at you, right? Why would I wave this big red flag? I wasn't looking for attention. And But um, through a different... Uh, matter. Um, my superiors found out about that and, and essentially they complained to the Judicial Fitness Commission, which is kind of like the ethics court for judges. And I got brought up on charges, yeah. ethics charges. So I, I, what I'd be, and, and I do appreciate all that information. I'd be curious, would you ever, would you ever consider running for the legislature and saying this, you know, this is what I believe. This is what I think is right. Let's make the law. If you're not a person that makes the law sitting in that chair to begin with, why don't you run for a a place where you can make the law? Because that's your job. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, if that's an endorsement, I like it. Okay. We'll take it to the cleaners. (laughs) Well, I don't really just there because I think each, well, let me tell you, my starting point is this. And really, the way I look at the world, your starting point guarantees your outcome. So if you're starting with the wrong presupposition about truth or life or the law, you're going to end up in the wrong, you know, well, actually, destination. That's, that's really good because I think we were discussing, we had an hour long drive to get here and we're talking about a lot of this. And I, based on all the stuff that I, I've read, I didn't think there was an option. I thought it was just, it was part of your job duties was mm-hmm. to perform marriages. I didn't realize that it was a, it was an option to begin with. Well, if so, it was part of my job duties and my liberty of conscience was that strong to say, I cannot participate, then I would have resigned. Right. That's the only thing you can do. If you have a liberty of conscience issue, see liberty of conscience has to be tethered to an objective standard. You just can't say, well, my liberty of conscience is whatever and have no standard. To right. have liberty of conscience, you have to have an immutable standard about which you can judge right or wrong. And so my starting point is there is a creator. That creator made me. Therefore, I have purpose. Therefore, I have destiny. And therefore, I have meaning. Mm-hmm. And that my creator has fashioned into the law of nature what he believes should be happening. I mean, the law of entropy, the law of, you know, a whole variety of laws um, that, that right. judges are designed to discover in a Blackstonian world. I know that's a little bit of history, but in our common law, Blackstone really articulated what judges and lawyers should do. But that shifted in about 1880 to 1900 when Darwinian view of law that, that was really was a humanist standpoint told judges that you get to make law. You get to insert what you think is right. And so that's been going on for 130 years now, and it's really screwed up. That's a legal term. Our our judicial system, in my opinion, because a lot of judges start with the standpoint to the starting point. You know, there is no creator. They're they're an accident of time and slime. Therefore, they're not here with a purpose, and therefore, they have no meaning. And if you have no meaning, then power becomes your identity. And mm-hmm. if power is what you believe in, then then you're not doing necessarily what's right for everybody. You're exercising your power, and you're, quote, unquote, making law. Judges, in my opinion, under our Constitution, that's not their function. Right. And I, I fully support that. I think we have way too many people introducing their own personal biases or like you said everybody has biases but Mm -hmm. doing your absolute best to set that aside and i I really appreciate that well you look at 
I'm also a Republican, so I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You're a Republican. (laughs) We are Republicans because we believe in a Republican form of government, small r. And -hmm. that means that we there is a foundation to truth. See, if you don't believe in truth, then you can't be a Republican. And if you don't believe in absolute truth, that there is a right and a wrong, you can't be a Republican. If you think Mm. that that just you get to make up stuff like that, then you get to be a Democrat because that's what they do. (laughs) And 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 so a republic, Republican form of government chooses its representatives to represent them and create the laws. But those laws have to match are the law of nature. You can't violate the law of nature. See, that's where we've lost it, that, that we, we can just kind of make up anything we want to. Well, actually, no, you can't. That isn't how it works. And if you, if you violate the law of nature, you're going to end up, via, you know, creating chaos. I mean, look at Ted Wheeler in Portland. Hmm. The law of nature says that if you don't have a consequence for an action, it creates more of that action, Right. Wow. Yeah. And so he let 110 days of trying to burn down a federal courthouse and they arrested a few people, never really tried him as far as I know. What's that do? Let him go. Yeah. Yeah. It just it just creates more chaos and more people say, well, look, you know, well, I have to admit I was driving here. It took me five hours to get here Mm -hmm. and I was a little late. There was a little voice in my head that said, oh, yeah, and NR, and NPR, I heard that the, the state police really aren't pulling over people for speeding violations <laughs> much anymore. So what did I do? I drove faster, well, right? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, human nature, here's a starting point. I think everybody saw that during COVID when they what, basically... That I sped? Not, not you, everybody. <laughs> I mean, every person. There, there, are, there are roads that are 55 miles an hour that before COVID, I would do 60 or maybe 63 and if I do that now, I have to be on the right-hand lane because people will be blowing by me on the left. Blowing is yeah. right, man. Yeah. I mean, 80-plus on a regular basis down these same roads that, like, 63 was pushing it. And so, yeah, it, absolutely. It's, well, here, it's, here's, a, here's a question to ask your listeners. What is your view of human nature? That's a starting point. And your starting point's, again, going to guarantee your outcome. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to... Cr- create pathways for you to act. My starting point is that human beings, when left alone, do selfish, mainly brutish, mean, nasty things. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, if I'm, I, if, if I don't have somebody saying, don't do that, then I may do it. There are some people and a lot of judges, I've watched them, they articulate it in different ways, but they believe humans are basically good. And if you right. leave them to their own design, they will do good things. Yeah, that's just bovine material. Right. I don't see that. I mean, think about Chamberlain in the 1930s. He believed that human beings were basically good. Churchill said, no, no, no. They're basically selfish. Chamberlain trusted Hitler because his philosophy was, I'll create a context for Hitler. I'll kind of help him choose the right way. Yeah. How did that work out? Yeah. Well, I think that, I think that's what our leadership in Portland is doing with, with the homelessness crisis, to mm-hmm. be honest, is they think if we just give the right circumstances and the right help and the right programs, that everybody will generally kind of fix themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's not how addiction works. No. That's not how mental health uh, issues work. You know, you get down this path where that's the only path you can see. And it, no amount of, of, carrots being handed to you is going to fix a a deep broken addiction and mental health crisis i was gonna say when you, I'm, when you I'm, need I'm, encouragement on the other end you need to get people to do what they're what were you gonna say I, I, I like to think of myself as a good rational intelligent person but when i'm left to my own devices i eat taco bell and watch rick and morty all weekend and <laughs> You can ask my wife. It's not. I'm clamoring for it. I need some direction. Well, I think this goes guidance. back. I think this goes back to you know you're a man of faith. I'm a man of faith. Um, Nick's a man of faith. And I'm glad we, you added that. I we, had my doubts. Right. Well, I, <laughs> I Nick's in that gray sweater. Anyway. He's iffy. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, the Bible talks about having a sin nature, mm-hmm. and this is you know deeply ingrained in us. And I think anybody who believes the Bible is a Christian understands that sin nature and you're right once you when you look at it as people left to their own devices are going to be selfish they're going to be i mean this this is the basis for capitalism mm-hmm. our entire our entire you know social structure is based on the idea that people are selfish mm-hmm. and will act in their self-interest and you know i don't believe in 
pure capitalism. I mean, you get people real, you get exploitive real quick. Real quick. If you don't have, yeah. if you don't have some guardrails in place, but the, the fundamental, you know, foundation of our entire society is people are self-interested and you have to give them boundaries. Yes. And those boundaries have yes. to be clear. They have to be a, a fairly applied to mm-hmm. all people at all times in the same manner. That's the rule of law. Absolutely. And the problem is that we're starting to see this equity theory philosophy invade the judicial system mm-hmm. or the law enforcement uh, paradigm that we've created. And, and as your listeners know, equity is based on, Treating people differently based upon either their ethnic background, their race, or how they were treated or oppressed in the past. So it becomes a binary choice. There's only really two choices. Either you're a member of the oppressed class, which everybody wants to be oppressed because then they get benefits, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're a member of the oppressor class, and there's nothing in between. And so the people on the oppressed side, they get lifted up because that's what that theory says. And those of us who are the quote unquote oppressors, because we're privileged or we have education or you're white or whatever it is, get pushed down. That violates the, the, the constitutional principle of equal equality before the law. And if we continue down that path, because that's what my opponent teaches Mm-hmm. She teaches that, at least that's my understanding, from looking at the University of Oregon Law School description, uh, what she teaches. If you if you infuse that into the judicial system, it, it's two separate standards for people. Well, so I'll be the I'll just provide the uh, I guess the liberal argument to that mm-hmm. is that you have decades, if not centuries, of mistreatment of certain people. Um, mm-hmm. that's I mean, true. not that long ago, we were Jim Crow laws. Another thing we were talking about. We get, we get a lot of... We should, we should just, we should just uh, talk <laughs> oh, about Oh, by these, the way, who are the things? ones who are in charge of the Jim Crow laws? Oh, that's right. The Democrats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say the government. And this, this is one of the points that I've been trying to make is like slavery, government, Jim Crow, government, redlining, government. Mm-hmm. Why do we think the government is the good guy in this situation? Why do we think more government is the solution to racism? Wait, that's a liberal Every, perspective? No, that's, this, this is Jesus. <laughs> we switched back. No, the, the, I switched back. The, the liberal perspective is we've got these centuries of, of mistreatment by white people to black people, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, see, and I agree with you yeah. as, a, as a historian. Clearly, keep it keep it out of the judiciary. I, I would agree with you on that. I'm, I'm just trying to, for conversation's sake. Well, for conversation's sake, though, there are a lot of you know my ancestors were abolitionists. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just because of your skin color, um, I mean, if you come over from Guyana and you're a brand new, you know, you got a green card, do you suddenly get the benefits of of um, you know, a hundred or two, three hundred years of slavery because your skin color is black. You've never experienced any slavery, but because you, the simple idea that the person's skin color now puts them into the oppressed status or the oppressor status, that violates the the common law understanding that you do not hold a child of a perpetrator responsible for the perpetrator's crime. See, yeah. if you if you don't have that bedrock to to our legal system, it becomes uh, the government's choosing winners and losers. You don't yeah. have fair trials. You don't have you don't have a way. You're not under the rule of law. You're under the rule of equity or unfairness. I have an interesting anecdote. I was at a I was at a party and talking with this uh, this black couple. Um, the man uh, grew up in poverty in the projects. Um, but started a business, now has 50-plus employees, self-made millionaire. Mm-hmm. His girlfriend, um, and I won't say who they were, uh, not that anyone would know them, but grew up in Nigeria. Family had servants, you know, upper, upper-class Nigerian. You want to guess which, what they were, uh, what side of the, of the argument they were on? <laughs> the, the, well, the, the self-made millionaire was like, yeah, capitalism is good. And if you work hard enough, you know, you can, you can get yourself out of this. And, and the, <laughs> the wife who grew up in Nigeria was all on the equity train. And I wanted to say, like, you are about the most privileged person in this room. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're talking about how 
Because, I mean, you're absolutely right. She came from Nigeria, had servants. But see, that know, also feeds inherited into... Inherited wealth. It was... You, that feeds into why modern-day American progressives are so much on the equity train. Mm-hmm. Is it, You know, you think of the Kennedys who gained their wealth during the Prohibition and and fantastically wealthy, but yet there's almost a guilt complex with a lot of wealthy liberals that now they're going to have to rectify this social inequality and they're going to require us to give up whatever we made so that they feel better. It's the strangest type of um, psychological derangement, as one of my friends would say, when somebody who's wealthy and got there through capitalism suddenly becomes a socialist. Yeah, it just it makes no <clears throat> Bernie Sanders. sense. <clears throat> you you yeah. see that all the time. You see Mercedes and Teslas and you know nice cars driving around with Bernie Sanders. It's like, well, now, now, wait a minute. <laughs> if you really, if you were committed to the bit here, we could be sharing the well. You could drive a lot less nice of a car and and give it to me. Be, hey, there we go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's what I don't get about everybody. Incur- all these wealthy people talking about increasing taxes. They're just like, bro, you can give money to the IRS. Like they will take your money if you choose to. <laughs> Uh, you driving that car and the fact that I see your name on the headlines means that you didn't do that. You know, you want to, you want everybody else to pay more taxes and you're like, Oh, well, I'm a millionaire. I could pay more taxes. Hey, bro. Knock I, yourself they, out. Yeah. They, you, they will take your money. The He's IRS will take you know. your money if you <laughs> offer it to them. So anyway, I, I think there is, and I, I think it's worth splitting the hair to say that. The judicial system and your judge, I mean, this is what we're talking about, you know, should absolutely everybody should be treated the same under the law there. That should be no questions asked. Mm-hmm. I do think it's worth looking from a more social level at, you know, kind of a more macro trend of, of different people groups who had been historically marginalized and making sure that those internal biases that we have are not playing out into the future. Well, and and it is important to recognize what's happened in the past. We can't, we yeah. never should sweep that under the rug historically. But but you can't. Again, you cannot hold this generation responsible for what happened in the past to certain families. Sure. And so, at one hand, we have to recognize it and correct some of the cultural. But that's not the civil government's job. The civil government's job isn't that that's the church's job. That's the business association mm. job. That's the the um, organizations that that the NGOs that want to see that change happen, but not civil government. Hmm. Civil government is there to provide and it's supposed to be, as you said, limited. I mean, really, when you think about it, historically, there are five forms of government. There's self-government, which is the basis of any republic. We have to be self-governing or you can't have a republic. Mm-hmm. Two, there's family government, there's church government, there's business slash association government, and then there's civil government. And it all fr- flows from self-government, individual governing units that we are. We give up certain things to, we delegate certain things to different forms. You know, when you when you start a corporation, you're delegating your self-government to now a governing board. You're bringing on partners, they're getting capital, and you submit yourself to those bylaws. When you get married, Nick, you're married, right? You sure were learning am. this. As far as I know. You know. Unless yeah. my wife really doesn't like this episode or something. <laughs> but you got married. You made a conscious decision to become a co-regent, if you will, with your wife over your family. And you're responsible for those children. They don't belong to the government. You're responsible to educate them. Yes, sir. And so, same with the church. You know, the hmm. church... You, you join a church, you become a member, you submit yourself to the elders. It, it's, a, it's a spiritual kind of connection, but it also has some rules and some, and they're, they're supposed to discipline you if you're out there talking about, you know, Buddha in the middle of a Christian service. So there's <laughs> right. government in all those different areas. And we get, I think, too wound up around, oh, the civil government needs to do everything. No, 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 it's not. It's supposed to be limited. So, and I, honestly, you, you had just brought up an interesting point because I, we, I think the three of us at this table, and I probably a lot of the people that we we have as our as our listeners, unless people like hate listen to us, like there's like far left Democrats <laughs> who just want to get two, upset to be or honest. Honest. <laughs> the, well, yeah, probably honestly, but that that individuals both deserve to and need to be treated equally under the law. If you commit a crime, it's the same as me committing a crime, the same as you mm-hmm. committing a crime. That's the, the crime is what the crime is. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not necessarily imperative to 
to take the context into account. And maybe the three of us all get busted for doing heroin, but, and the, the two of you did it because it's a TikTok challenge and I did it because my, you know, we haven't had wealth and I'm down on my luck and I just need something to do for money. We need, we can take the context out of and just throw the book at somebody. And you had said the, the way that we can kind of go rectify that situation because we do have inequity in society. We do have inequality among socioeconomic classes, races, genders, everything like that. It, that can be addressed by civic organizations or business groups or churches. And it strikes me because church attendance is down. And I think it's particularly down from individuals on the left where maybe you were the good Catholic Democrat 50 years ago, but now you just don't go to church. Now your grandchildren just don't go to church. You view the government as your church. That is mm-hmm. the body from which you are ordained your authority. And it, it strikes me as a bit of a bummer because we, I mean, this is the, now we're getting into like Robert Putnam bowling alone. The decline of any civic organization is, is, is rampant. I mean, the, any, there's no fire halls anymore. There's no bowling leagues anymore. Ranges, any, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Any of anything anymore. People just hang up by themselves and it's, we're going to see it. Well, they the hang, hang up by themselves in their phone. Well, exactly. And now, and if you're on your, if you're a kid, you're on the video games or whatever. And it's just like people just sit by themselves. And this is going to be exacerbated by the pandemic. But there is no group mentality. The only group mentality that I feel like 50% of the partisans in America, those on the left see is government. They see this as the only place that we can come through and get together and get these problems solved. Well, and Jefferson said that once the public discerns or realizes that they can vote themselves a section of the treasury, we're in trouble. <laughs> that's the ballgame right there. And that's what's happening. That's is what you Bernie get people who are entitled to certain amount of government benefits and they feel like, no, no, I'm, that that's mine. And you're going to pay for it, Nick. And, and, yep. and what that does is it robs them of the self-worth of self-governing. The dignity of work is really important. And if you don't have work that is dignified, that, that, that you can throw your life into and enjoy and provide for your family, then you really lose that self-motivation. And it happens in socialist societies all the time. And, you know, Jamestown, which was the original colony mm-hmm. here in North America, failed because they had everything in common and therefore nobody did a darn thing. Sure, yeah. Versus and they, and even my ancestors in Plymouth. They they originally had common areas and then they figured out, you know, we better give land to people and then they worked it. So yeah. when you're responsible for your own, you know, uh, nutrition and and progress and and provision, you work a little harder than if, oh, Nick will do it for me. Somebody's going to get handed. So I, I, but I'd be curious for your thoughts on if we, if we at this table agree that government is not the place to solve all of society's ills. We cannot legislate everybody being equal and everybody having the same opportunities. We, we, there has to be other organizations that do this. If we, but we all also agree, all three of us Republicans at this table agree that we have in the last 10, 20, 30 years identified stuff that just wasn't talked about before. Stuff that women were treated less fair, black people were treated less fair, Hispanic people, Asian, anything. And we've now at least identified and are aware of this. If the, if the correct solution is that that should be addressed by churches and civic organizations and business groups and societal gathering, whatever. If those are are on the decline, is there any way to to gin up participation back in churches, back in civic organizations? I mean, how do you how do you get that going? Well, I start with the presupposition that each person is responsible for their own actions. Mm -hmm. And and so when when you look at the societal problem of um, that, some people have been treated poorly and that is clear. I mean, but where does that end? I mean, the Irish were treated poorly. The Finns, my ancestors, were treated poorly. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not to the extent, clearly, of a whole class of people from Africa who are treated as less than human, subhuman. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but again, you go back. Each person has to be responsible for their own actions. And you can't say, okay, well, gee, Vance, um, because you're white, therefore you're privileged therefore you get to be in the you we're relegating you to the oppressor class because it violates the 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 dignity of that individual i'm going to push back really hard on that i'm going to say okay 
you may be right that I had a, a, a blessed upbringing. I had parents who cared for me. They loved me. They took care of yeah. me. They fed me. They sent me to a good school. But you look back in my history and, and my ancestors fought for the union. They were, they were strong in their view that black people were just as valuable as they were. So you can't tell me that somehow I'm some oppressor. I'm not. That's what happens mm. when the government starts to pick winners and losers based upon this binary model of you're an oppressor or you're the oppressed because it, it violates that essential um, understanding of what fairness is. I mean, yeah, sure. everybody has a sense that, that it needs to be quote unquote fair. At the same time, they also have to recognize that life isn't fair. Get over it. I'm sorry that that happened. Pick up yourself, get back on the boat. And if you can't get back on the boat or on the ship or on the car, then we'll help you do that. But that's not the government's job. Hmm. That's NGOs. That's churches. That's individuals. I mean, sometimes we become so compassionate that we actually disable people. Yeah. I think and, we've crossed that line a lot mm -hmm. lately. It's the camping in downtown Portland thing. Yeah. I mean, they pass a law that says, well, you can't camp within 10 feet of a doorway. Oh, well, the implicit yes to that or the implicit you know, message of that is you can camp so, anywhere oh, you're darn well pleased yeah. as long as it's not within Knock 10 feet. We, but we right. grew up, there was loitering laws. And, and if we just enforce the laws that we have and try to help folks get out of this addiction, you know, so, it, it's going to change our culture, I think. So this is one of my biggest frustrations. And we talked about a little bit, you know, equal, I mean, equal uh, representation, not equal representation, equal application of the law. But when we choose to not enforce the law at all, mm -hmm. I think that is also equally damaging because you get that. And it, it, it puts so much power into the, the, into the hands of the person enforcing the law, whether that's the police, the judges, the, you know, whatever system that is, because if they don't like you, you violated that law. But if they, but if you're fit some Category, category or right? or they like mm -hmm. you or you know hey you that's not the rule of law that, the that's table. that's rule of man exactly. that's rule of favoritism i am i am very much in favor of enforce the laws on the books if the laws are wrong repeal the laws but giving anyone discretion over what to enforce and what not to is way too much power into the hands of, mm -hmm. of those people and it's it's not good for anyone if the law is wrong get rid of the law no, I agree so. with you 100. percent And that, and 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 when people see that that is how the law is um, applied to people, then they start to look for avenues to get out from underneath the law, or yep. to grab some type of status that allows them favoritism. Well, exactly. I'm a member of an oppressed class, so you can't you can't arrest me. I'm a Multnomah County Republican. It doesn't get much more oppressed than that. I tell you what, I'm going to start texting and driving and doing heroin and all kinds of good stuff. I'll let you guys know how it goes. We'll be sure to be sure to clip that and send it to people. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> all right. Well, we are uh, well over time at this point. So one of the things we like to do. Uh, with all our guests is ask the question, who is your favorite Republican? If you have one. Yeah. I, one of my favorite Republicans is Mike Huckabee. Hmm. He's straightforward. He's affable. He has a caring nature, but he'll tell you if, you know, what he thinks he'll tell you that you got salad on your teeth and not to <laughs> smile, or he'll tell you that, you know, yeah, you're wrong. And here's why you're wrong. I mean, just, he's straightforward, but he's a fun guy. Also a member of my fraternity, Mike and me, both Teeks. I'll give him the secret handshake Good next job. time I see him. Really? I was going to say, I've, I've met his daughter, never met him. I met Sarah. You know, she, you know, she worked in Oregon. When I was chairman yeah. of the Oregon Republican Party, she was down in Bend working oh, for the, the Bush. Let's get her on I the pod. I didn't yeah. know that. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, Judge Day, thank you again so much for coming on the show. This has been a really interesting discussion and a lot of fun. So thanks again. My pleasure. Listeners, we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.